I, uh, I've really been enjoying this series, First Samuel, and today we get to wrestle through uh, a passage that I've been excited to get to, and it's God like rejecting Saul as king, like he regrets it. And it's kind of the turning points of Samuel, and, and there's lots to work through, and I think that God has something he wants to say to our church in terms of the way that God and Saul related in this passage, and I think it has lots to do with what we're up to today in our church. So uh, what I'd like to do is just paraphrase the story for you, as it did last time I spoke, because they're just long stories, and then we'll read an excerpt from the end, kind of the most important part. But basically, this, this uh, sermon is on 1 Saul 15, and uh, 1 Samuel 15, and it's um, a story about God instructs Saul and the kingdom to wipe out this evil nation called the Amalekites. Uh, if you have more like questions about that, God's not into ethnic cleansing. There's great apologetics for those sorts of things. He's all about covenant and mercy and justice and relationship and um, takes a lot of trust. But if you want to learn more about that, you know, it's a good thing to dig into. There's good apologetics for it. Um, so Saul does so, uh, but God instructed him very clearly to not take any of the spoils from that land. Don't take any of it. Uh, don't save any of it, none of that stuff. And what they did is they saved kind of the, the fattened calves and all the best of the, um, the animals and those sorts of things. They didn't actually wipe out the nation uh, and didn't do what God instructed them to do. So then the word of the Lord comes to Samuel and, whoa, and says this, uh, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So that's kind of harsh. He does everything he says, he wins the battle, and he keeps a couple of cows and a couple of sheep, and all of a sudden God rejects him as king. Seems a little extreme, at first reading anyways. So Samuel goes looking for Saul, uh, who's, who's in the process of building a monument to himself at this point, after their big victory, not a great move. And uh, Samuel rebukes Saul for not obeying. He kind of has this like tongue-in-cheek way of going about it. He's like, why do I... Like, he, he comes up to Saul, and Saul's like, I did everything you said. I fulfilled all that you needed me to do. And then Samuel's like, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep and, like, mooing of cows? <laughs> like, what is, what, where's that coming from? He's kind of playing with him a little bit. And Saul kind of responds and goes, but I did obey. Like, I, I did do what you said. And uh, he kind of gets, it's like he almost gets caught in the act. You know, he's building a monument to himself, and he's still got all, this, all these spoils, and Samuel comes up to him and finds him. And uh, you kind of, you like a hand caught in the cookie jar kind of moment. And I feel like I'm resonating with Saul at, at this point because what he does is he says, oh, we were just going to come sacrifice all those animals to God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what he's, we learned later that he, that's not was his intention at all. He was afraid of his men uh, for not taking any spoils. That'd be pretty hard to lead an army into a place and then not take the spoils. Sounds tough. So he was afraid of them. We learned that later. But at this point, Saul's like, no, no, we were just going to sacrifice them all to, to God. That's, that's cool, right, Samuel? And he says, no. And this is the part I want to read out. It'll be on the screen behind me. Samuel says this. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, which is like fortune telling, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So to obey is better than sacrifice. So we have to kind of contrast those words a little bit, right? 
Like, we gotta, we got to work this through. God is very specific about the fact that sacrifice, animal sacrifice, restoration, all that stuff, all commands and laws that he would have put in place pales in comparison to just good old-fashioned, do what I say, don't ask questions. Just letter of the law, so much better. So sacrifice is a lot about restoration, and there's all these amazing Old Testament laws about the fact that God sets up all these systems where they do animal sacrifice to pay for the sins of, of, um, of God's people as a way of restoring justice and reconciling God to his people, and it's really, really great, and I'm glad because we're all broken, and I'm glad sacrifice exists because we're sinful, and um, you know, this is what would have been what the Israelites would have said. Like, I'm glad he's put these things in place. This is great. But obedience is different. Obedience isn't like a, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but sacrifice is almost like a backup plan. It's like, wasn't the original, wasn't the original plan to have to spill blood for reconciliation? God's not stoked on that. It's like, okay, well, looks like this is what justice looks like now, but it's not plan A. Obedience is way different. Uh, so I feel like God would, would very simply just be like, well, why don't you just, if you just did what I ask, if you just do what I ask, then we can avoid this whole sacrifice system. Uh, so the question just kind of begs, begs to be asked then, what is the appeal of preferring sacrifice and that whole system over obedience? Are you tracking with me? Sacrifice in this story has an appeal that obedience didn't. Uh, making up for your mistakes with the systems God put in place seems to be a preference to Saul instead of just obeying off the top. So that's what we're going to work through because I feel like I can re resonate a little bit with him in this and we'll get there. So what's the appeal? What is the appeal that Saul has to this? Well, in 1 Samuel 15, 24, kind of halfway through the story, or after, sorry, after Samuel rebukes him, uh, Saul says this, uh, I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. So he kind of fesses up here. It's like, I've violated them. Uh, I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. I was afraid of the men. I'm like, okay, now I'm fully tracking with you. I'm often afraid of the men, whatever that means. And then, you know, Saul gets kind of clever because he goes, hey, maybe I can still be fearful. Maybe I can still be ruled by the people around me. Maybe I can still, by my own power, retain my kingship and not have everybody overthrow me. And then I can go appease God because my hand's caught in the cookie jar. Does that make sense? Like, I can still be fearful, but then become okay in your sight again. And I'll still... Uh, take matters into my own hands, but then I'm grateful that there's this whole system over here, and I'll just, if I get caught, then I'll just do what I need to do to get back in good standing with you, and, and we can kind of resonate with this, because I feel like I live like this a lot of the time. I'm like, well, I still want to be in charge of my life, and thankfully, we have all these great things we can do to earn something back that didn't work over there. So that makes sense to me. Uh, so here's the problem. <laughs> Saul's motivation is not trust. Uh, it's it's self-preservation. It's selfishness. His motivation is not trust. It's not relationship with God. It's not closeness. It's self-preservation. And then sacrifice kind of makes sense. And I'm grateful that it exists. We get to do all the religious things later. 
that kind of make everything okay. Uh, the thing that I, I was thinking about an example of this in real life that would kind of drive it home. And I remember, he's not here today, I think I could use my little brother Toby for every sermon example. <laughs> I like have to refrain from, I got two today, I couldn't help myself. But the first Toby example of the day is when he was little, he had this, he wasn't afraid of much, and he had really high pain tolerance. And so back in the day when spanking was still a thing, uh, what Toby would do is he would go, well, I want to do this, so I wonder how many spankings that is. And he'd be like, yeah, that's worth it. <laughs> and then he would just, it was almost like he'd get spanked, shake hands, and move along. It was bizarre to watch, and I remember you guys just going, this isn't working. We have to change our tactics. This is not achieving the goal that we... <clears throat> you just watched Toby calculating. Yes. <laughs> it was mostly Yes. But it's almost like what Saul's doing in this sense. I'm afraid. I really want to be king. And so what's this going to take? What can I do to still get my way? And as a, as a parent in that previous example, this is an absurd way of thinking about why you'd spank or discipline or have sacrifices in place. It's silly. It's not transactional. It's, but Saul's treating it that way. So the point being, I can take care of myself and I can appease God. We know, we know Saul is trying to take care of himself because he builds a, mo a monument. When Samuel is looking for him after he doesn't do what he says, uh, someone tells Samuel, Saul's gone to Carmel and he's set up a monument in his own honor. <laughs> uh, I think sacrifice and punishment and I don't know, all the things that I think we think God is interested in can be a fantastic way to control God a fantastic way to still get what we want. And then we use the churchy systems to earn something back. And we use the things that God's put in place, like repentance even, even though it wouldn't be a good usage of the real word repentance, but we go, oh, there's all these great things set up for me to still get what I want and maintain control of my life. So we do this. And uh, here's a question I wanted to ask you, is when you hear the word obey, do you hear it as appease God? Okay? Think about that. When you hear the word obey, does it translate, maybe, maybe not in your head, but in your heart, to make God happy again? Okay. Really think about that. Because I was writing this down, I'm like, wow. I think that I think obedience is about earning God's something. I don't think it is. Uh, if obedience is about earning something, that's just appeasement. That's called penance. And penance was something that, well, I'm going to talk about this in a second, but the, Rever the Reformation was really, really against that. And uh, obey and sacrifice are not the same thing. You can't just do whatever you want and then pay something because God's not interested in transactional like checks and balances. He's inter interested in something that a parent would be interested in, like a relationship with their child. And so penance is a huge betrayal of God's whole motivation for wanting to know us. It, it betrays him um, dying on the cross. And like he didn't do that so that you could still have your way and then ignore him 
but then kind of come to him with need. Like, that's still a distant relationship. He didn't die so that he could still be distant from you. Here, listen, listen to this sentence. This is important. Obedience doesn't earn anything. Okay? Your obedience to what God has asked you to do doesn't change your standing with him. I don't live like this, usually. Uh, obedience is living out the identity of something that is already true. You are already a son, so therefore obey. It doesn't get you back somewhere. So this is what I think I do a lot of the time with obedience. Is like, um, So this drives us crazy because we like the control, right? And so we make obedience step six or something in the Christian journey as like this place that one day I'll get to, like some thing that we've arrived at. We're like, well, now I'm an obedient Christian. As if that's some like ascended form of Christian living. It's actually step one. Like if you think about a child, it's the first thing you do is obey. It's the most helpful thing to you in that, at that point. We'll talk about that in a second actually. But um, yeah, so... It drives us crazy, I think, that obedience doesn't actually get us anywhere. It's just operating, it's just living out of something that you've already known to be true. But I kind of don't like that. I like having some distant goal that I can attain towards. I like controlling God with my versions of how I paint obedience and sacrifice. And it's just all just my own standing. And then I used to think when I was a teenager, I'd be like, oh yeah, one day I'll be one of those Christians that I like would point at who are in their 20s. And I'm going, oh, one day I'll be an obedient Christian. As if, and I love that there was a distant objective that I could control because it means I didn't have to surrender to him in this moment. But obedience doesn't earn a thing. So I feel like, I feel like Jesus would respond to us treating obedience as something we would earn or use to earn something. Jesus would respond, I'm the sacrifice. Like I'm the lamb that was slain. There's nothing left to earn or prove. There's nothing... There's no graduation required. You just accept me. You accept me as the lamb who paid for all your sins. And if we start treating obedience as an addition to his sacrifice, like I'm not in good standing unless he's the lamb and I'm blah, 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 that's just control. And I think it's convenient for us. So Jesus would say, I'm the sacrifice. What are you doing? What are you doing treating obedience like something that you, like, you can't add to this? Be my children. Obey. So that's this first part, is to obey is better than sacrifice. Because it's walking out something that's just core true. So the second part, verse 23, which is behind me here, is for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. So uh, Saul, uh, and because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul rejects the word of the Lord by not obeying, and it looks like two things, which it always looks like for us as well. It looks like either religion or rebellion. For the first one, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. Uh, divination meaning fortune-telling. I just kind of stuck out to me. Rebellion is like fortune-telling. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Rebellion is like grasping for things by your own means. It's using your own power and powers that aren't God's to assert your own destiny and it's you're in control now. That's what rebellion is. Oh, fascinating. It's weird that he compared it to fortune telling. I had to think about that for a second. But rebellion, 
nonetheless. And then arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Arrogant idolatry would be a great definition of the word religion. Um, I'm going to make an idol, and, uh, and I'm going to be arrogant about it, and it's going to be my own ability to get to God. It's a fantastic idol. It's just yourself. So again, we can relate with Saul. He didn't obey, and it always looks like either religion or rebellion, which he did. He rebelled against what God told him to do, and then he started building a monument to himself and giving himself all the credit for doing a good job and being like, don't worry, I'm still going to sacrifice. It's like, nah, not what he was trying to get. So today, uh, we have the written word. And when I read that sentence of like Saul rejected the word of the Lord, I'm like, oh, I also have a word of the Lord in my life. It's called my Bible that I try to read every day. How often do I reject that thing? So it might be good to have a little bit of, uh, I'd like to enlist the help of a theologian named Diedrich Bonhoeffer to help us with, uh, with kind of how we should treat the word of the Lord. So if we're gonna, just, to, just to catch us up, if we're going to obey and we're going to treat obedience like a child, then we need to know what to do, and we need to know what he's saying. Thankfully, we have the word of the Lord, much like Saul did. He had it through Samuel's voice. We have it through our Bibles. So just to track, stay on track here. But um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a very, very interesting character. You can put uh, that slide up, Matthew, so we can see his face. He's very German. And uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer... Uh, did a lot for modern theology, especially in the 20th century, uh, he would have had a lot to do with what modern discipleship looks like. He had what's called a Christocentric view of Christianity, meaning Christ is at the center of everything. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, his whole deal was become like Christ, right? The Philippians, let's just be like him. That's what a Christian's called to do, hence the title of the book, The Cost of Discipleship. But what we're going to kind of, I've got a couple of quotes from him. It's actually just one quote that I broke out into three. But I want to hear what he has to say about the way that we should treat Scripture, given its implications into everyday obedience, and what everyday obedience means for our relationship with God. So he handles Scripture in an extremely relational way, because, uh, yeah, because that's its intention. So this quote, um, listen to what he says about this. We will only be happy in our reading of the Bible when we dare to approach it as the means by which God really speaks to us. I either know about the God I seek from my own experience and insights, that is, from within myself, or I know about him based on his revelation from his own word. There's two options, from within myself or from the revelation of his own word. This is a little heady, but I think it's important, and I took one region class. <laughs> couple of weeks ago, so I'm going to sound smarter than I really am. It was just handy that we learned about this. But uh, Scripture's authority comes from its ability to reveal God. It's his self-disclosure to us. That's what's, it's the intention of Scripture. It's the ultimate authority. He wrote it to, to know us. Some people use it as a historical authority. It holds up pretty good. A moral authority, yeah. Scientific, sure. But its main purpose is God's self-revelation of his personhood to you. So that is what it can always be held up against. It's perfect at revealing God in his fullness to you as a person, person to person. Okay? 
That's what it's for. So that's really handy because that sounds a lot like now Samuel coming over to Saul and say, hey, please do this. It's like it's just as, like the word of God is always a person speaking to a person. It's not just distant doctrines that need to be. It's like God's trying to know you. So then by extension, by extension, if he asks us to do something, it's the same, it's the same goal. If, he's, if, he, if his goal and everything he says in his word is to know you and reveal himself to you, then so are all the commands. So are all the things he says go and do. It's the same objective. It's not, um, I want to know you. Also, go do this, because that would be helpful and great. Does that make sense? Uh, I want to know you. Also, obey me, because then you'll, I'll know for sure that you do. Like, it's, it's no, no, no. His, his, obe- his, his, his ask of us to be obedient is relational in nature, and he wants to know you even through those things. It's not about earning. It's like, this is what you get to do because you know me. It's the same intention. So I don't really read instructions and obedience that way sometimes. I look at them and I go, okay, so what do you want from me then? He's like, oh, I was the same, same thing. Just want to know you. So when he says obey, just want to be with you. Just want to know you. Um, helpful, helpful example of this. And this humbled me so much. Uh, there's this kid named, um, his name's Alex. And he is a, a guy that I met kind of through the whole Chapel Youth Network world. And he lives in the North Shore. And he is very fat. I got to know him because of this youth pastor from the North Shore who was, you know, when we were organizing alphas in schools and this stuff. This is one youth pastor. His name is Brennan. He calls me. He's like, you've got to meet this kid, Alex. He's insane. Like, he, he, he's doing my job better than me. <laughs> so uh, I met Alex because he shared his testimony at the chapel conference last year. But I, got, I went out for a coffee with Alex, and he told me his story. And he's like, I, oh, I'm going to get where he's from wrong. I think it's Iran. Doesn't matter. Somewhere in the Middle East. He says, I was born there, moved here, uh, felt a void in my heart, like there was supposed to be a God. He grew up non-religious. And uh, so then I just started watching YouTube videos on who Jesus was, and I gave my life to Christ. I'm like, oh, man, that's, it. that's crazy. And then I started looking for a church, and uh, I found North Shore Alliance because my parents live over there, and I started going to the youth group. And then I started reading my Bible a bunch, and I was like, I, and I was like you read it? He's like, yeah, I read it. You read the, read the whole Bible? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that what you do? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then he just starts taking it all literally, go figure. And he's like, okay, well, it says here that I should lay my life down for other people and I should share my faith and I should make disciples. So I started leading this alpha thing in my school. And, you know, fast forward, Alex is leading a group of like 30 grade 10 boys at, I won't say what high school, uh, at lunch, and he's not supposed to be. Like, the, the administration doesn't like it because <laughs> he's, like, preaching at them. And you know what Alex says to me? He's like, I can't get any other kids from my youth group to come join me, even though there's, like, 20 of them in my school. But that's okay. Wow. Like, wow, you just take it all really literally, and then you go do stuff. And then he shares at the chapel conference, he's like, last year when we had Alpha and then the, 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 the administration shut it down, I'd never felt so close to Jesus before. He's like, he's like, I was getting persecuted, like it says in wherever, and then he quoted the verse. 
<laughs> like, oh my goodness. I just love the simplicity of that. Like, I love the child, like, aren't we just supposed to? Come on. <laughs> That's so good. I was so struck by that. So another Bonhoeffer quote that kind of speaks to this. Check this out. I feel like Bonhoeffer and Alex would get along. Next one. The longer one, uh, Matthew. There you go. Um, proper reading of scripture is not a technical exercise that can be learned. It is something that grows or diminishes according to my spiritual condition. The word of scripture must never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart. That is all. That is real meditation. Simply go and obey. Do not interpret or apply, but do it and obey. That is the only way Jesus' word is really heard. And so I'm looking at that and I'm like, when was the last time you heard instructions or ideas or commands and then didn't question them and analyze them? Like maybe it's been a while. Like maybe since I was like 10 I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you, but like when was the last time you just went, okay, cool, I trust you because I know you, and I know you love me, and so I'm just going to do that and not even really think about it. And I say that out loud, and I'm like, oh, man, that's like, is that abusive? Like it has an abusive connotation to it in some ways. Like when you hear the term blind obedience, what goes through your head? Red flag, right? Giant red flag, never obey anyone blindly. And of course, there's some, there's some wisdom to it. Um, but like, when you're young and stupid, accepting someone else's instructions is your best friend. So other Toby example. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, I remember one time we caught Toby with a nail in his hand, like this, in an outlet socket, and a hammer like this. <laughs> I'm about to take a big swing at that. And I think he just caught his arm. It made sense, right? There's a hole already made, and I'm just going to drive that thing in. But it's just like, don't, don't, just don't put a nail in the socket. Just don't do that. It's like really good news for Toby in that moment. And I just feel like, uh, like, just blindly obey me. I'm not going to explain to you how electricity works right now. Just, just do what I say. And I just, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since things were that simple in my life. So, of course, uh, we have lots of reasons to mistrust authority, and we have lots of reasons to uh, not blindly obey God based on our like, real-world experience, because there are authorities in our life that have led us astray, and there are people that have let us down, and there are people that maybe we should have thought a little bit longer about that. But to take our broken worldly experience and put it on God is a very, very dangerous thing to do, because if, if the God that we're blindly obeying, I'll use the ugly words, blindly obeying, um, if he's the definition of love, now that's like the, that makes the most sense. Yeah. Like, if he isn't, he isn't just really loving, like he is love, he can't be unloving. He's not even choosing to be loving. <laughs> he, he just is it. And then we go, oh, all of a sudden, taking you at face value seems extremely logical. So as we learned last week, it's not to say that answers don't come and things don't start to make sense. I just want to put it in the right order. So this is why 
This is why we need the Bible. I really appreciated last week about how we just was like, you know what, just read your Bible. <laughs> just read the thing. Uh, I loved how deeply practical that was and so simple. Um, because what if you don't have to worry about self-preservation? What if you don't have to worry about making sure you stay king? What if you don't, be, what if you don't have to be afraid of the men? And that's the only way you know that is by the word of God saying, you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to be afraid of the men. You don't have to sacrifice for me. Like you just read it and go, oh my goodness, this is all really true. And if we don't have that, if we don't have the word of God, if we're not, if we're not soaking in it, and it isn't a part of who we are, then all of a sudden we kind of take this distant approach and we analyze it from afar because it's not part of us. So, the, kind of the rub comes is that a lot of Jesus' commands are like in direct opposition to self-preservation. Have you noticed? Like, have you noticed that a lot of things he asks us to do are counterintuitive <laughs> and cost us a ton and when analyzed can always be picked apart? If you, if you stop and look at Jesus' words and you go, hmm, let me think about that, now it's kind of just... Take your, I don't know, it, it, uh, it loses almost all of its purpose because he's trying to lead you and love you and he's trying to do something for you that you can't even do with your own intellect, which is the big gift and it's kind of robbed of its, all its beauty in that analytical place. So one more Bonhoeffer quote for us. He says this about, um, about where scripture leads you. Where does the word of God lead us? If you take it literally and you obey it, where does it take you? Okay? If you just look at it, what does it say? Where does it always take you? Again, he's a Christocentric theologian, so this is going to make sense. Moreover, what we encounter in that revelation of who God is, uh, is something strange and disagreeable. For if it is God who says where he'll be, then that will truly be a place which at first sight is not agreeable to me, which does not fit so well with me. That place is the cross of Christ. So at first, if God is the one saying where he is, like I get to tell you where I am. And then we look at that and go, oh, I don't like that very much. Oh, I see where you are. You're trusting the Father. You're laying your life down for other people. You're loving others. You're only doing what you see the Father doing. You're on the cross being if it is your will, you want to talk about blind obedience, maybe not blind, but he's like, take this cup from me if you want, but not my will, but your will be done. That's where he is. And he gets to say where he is because he's the authority on the subject of where we're most whole and fulfilled. And it's the cross. So kind of as a sum up statement in many ways, Obedience takes us to the cross. When we obey Jesus, where he's trying to bring us is to the cross again. Yeah. He's not trying to bring us into our own heads and into our own economy of what we can understand. He's trying to bring us to the cross and go, look, this is living. And then you get to be resurrected with me too. Like I'm trying to save you. I'm not trying to have things make more sense. I'm trying to save you. It's nice when it does. It's nice when it does make sense. But that's not my primary objective. So obedience takes us to the cross. And this is how you get to be with me. This is how you get to be with me. 
You get to die with me and be resurrected with me. And that is salvation. Because I said so. Because I know what conquers the grave. I know what you need. So, it's been a lot of Bonhoeffer. Let's go back to the Bible. Philippians 3, 7 says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of, it, power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You guys are really quiet. Um, this is amazing news. <laughs> I know that it's confrontative, but we're describing salvation today. Yeah. Obedience to salvation. It's so simple. I know maybe it's a little bit heavy, but what if we started seeing obedience as like an invitation into a relationship with the person you were designed to know? Yeah. About the person who was going to tell you exactly who you were. Yeah. About the person who's going to love you better than anyone else ever could. And all of a sudden you go, sign me up for obedience. I'm not going to ask any questions anymore. And I look at my buddy Alex. <laughs> he just doesn't know he doesn't have all the same tricks that I have. He has none of the tricks. He didn't grow up in the church. His theology is from YouTube. YouTube and the Bible only. Like, it's like, he doesn't have a lot of material. He is now. He's, it's been a couple years. But the simplicity of his childlike faith is impacting the world around him. Yeah. And now people are, people are hearing about Jesus through him. He's significant, and he, he knows how much God loves him. And uh, I, I just have to repent today of seeing obedience and what God asks us to do as anything other than his desire to be close to us. It's not about, gee, I hope you do the things now because I did something. And we have to stop contrasting that. Now, I know most of us, especially if you're Christians, when you hear the word obedience, you're like, oh, he means outreach. Maybe. I don't know. That's a hard one. Yeah. It costs us a lot. But it might not be that, like, think deeply about where you need to obey. Don't just do the jump to, like, yeah, I should probably tell my coworker about Jesus. Yeah, you should. But he, did, he does ask us to do those things. Great. But think deeper about it for a second. Obedience isn't just, like, it's everywhere. Yeah. And we find him in it. Yeah. And oh, what God could do with a people that obeyed his word because they trusted him. And then I think as we learned last week, answers come and uh, God is really good to give us family and give us insights and give us information and make us not walk around in the dark. I don't feel blind. Like, like when I obey Jesus, I don't really feel blind. I feel like my eyes are opened yeah. to what's really going on yeah. and his love for me and who he says that I am. And I'm like, man, that's so good. So 1 Samuel 15, um, just again, God says, I, I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me. It's not, and he's not carried out my instructions. Like they're the same. Turned away from me and carried out my instructions are not two different things. Ooh, they're the same. They're the same. And I am so tired of we as the church, myself included, as contrasting obedience with some, like contrasting love and obedience. 
contrasting relationship and doing what you're told. There's just, it's just not how it works. And I think it's a false dichotomy that's really robbing us of intimacy with him. So, what kinds of obedience are you avoiding? What would change if you were to see that area as an invitation into relationship with God? I think he's inviting you into relationship because he loves you so much. And he just wants to be near you. And so I trust, I trust him. I trust him. And as we do, I think we'll be led to the cross and we'll be reminded of our salvation once more. And it's great news. It's great news. I'm going to invite the band up. and would like to pray for us. And then I'll invite Matt up and he'll kind of walk us through some ways we can respond. But Father, we come before you and thank you for the practicality of the gospel. Thank you for, it's so clear, and we get to trust you, and we get to know you. Thank you that we're not walking around in the fog. Thank you that there's nothing left, that there's nothing left to prove or earn. This is fantastic. You're so good that you would set us free. You're so good that you would take us by the hand and lead us out of the things that rob us of who you are. And so, Father, right now, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would remind us all once again the, 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 of the lack of complexity that is in following you. And I pray right now for a spirit of just childlike faith to rise up in our hearts and go, no, I do what my Father tells me. I do what my Father asked me to do because I trust him and because I love him and I know that he knows what's best. And Father, we repent of putting our intellect and our understanding above what you tell us to do. It is idolatry in its most potent form and it deserves to be torn down. It's killing us. It is killing us. You belong in that seat because you are the ultimate sacrifice. You did pay for it all. And we do have nothing left to earn. And I am sorry for treating obedience as adding to the salvation that you provide. We get to live out of what you've done. And it's out of that sonship and daughtership that we respond to you and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to be with you. What would you have me do? What must I do to be saved? So we come before you now and just say, Father, do, do with us what you, what you need to do. And would you give us something practical to do? as a way of living by faith. We're so grateful for who you are and how you minister to us personally. It's amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.